Welcome to Dragon Talk! How is it going? This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. My name is Greg Tito, and I'm joined as always by Shelly Mazzanovo. Ah! I feel like you're in the uh, uh, the right frame of mind. I feel like I just got into it. You know what? Hearing your intro just like puts me in a good mood. Yeah! Sorry, I did the pee thing. The pop filter is working. Puts me in a perfect place. <laughs> <laughs> Who's writing this copy that has lots of peas in it? <laughs> uh, we are super excited, as you can tell, Clearly. Uh, to talk about what's going on in the Dungeons and Dragons universe. Yep. Uh, we are talking to Cicero Holmes today. Yes. Woo! Fantastic role player, uh, but he has just, well, not just uh, but uh, uh, instrumental in getting him into playing Dungeons and Dragons was us. Was was our stop it? Yeah, uh, what? he had never played Dungeons and Dragons before Rivals of Waterdeep premiere before uh, a stream of many eyes. Uh, so very excited for him to begin dungeon mastering yeah, for the first time. I want to talk to him about that. Season five of Rivals of Waterdeep, which is happening very soon, I believe September twenty second is the premiere for that streaming show on Twitch.tv/dnd. And we're going to pick his brain about uh, uh, how he got into it from us and, and how the experience yes. of playing has been for the last four seasons. And then what was in- inspiration for Dungeon Mastering and how that whole thing is yeah. going to go. Give us some tips. 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 I basically tell Shelly how to uh, how get off her decide? butt and start Dungeon Mastering yes. again. And again. What happens when they go left? You never know. I don't know. Everything's going to be different. I got to go. <laughs> I'm also going left. <laughs> My well, mom's calling. Gotta go. It's Bye. better than going right. Uh, so we also will have some lore uh, going on. But uh, beyond all that, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming out in the latter half of 2019 uh, here. Yeah. Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Yeah. September 17th. So by the time you hear this in audio form... It will be out already in oh, stores you already everywhere. Know. You already know the goodness that's in there, or or the evil, as the case may be. True, uh, probably not a lot of goodness in there. Baldur's Gate: Descent to Avernus uh, starts in the city of Baldur's Gate in Forgotten Realms, and uh, through several misadventures or adventures, depending on how it goes, uh, you may go into the first layer of hell. The Nine Hells, rather, uh, called Avernus, and meet all types of crazy creatures here. We've been previewing some of this content both at D&D Live uh, back in May as well mm-hmm. as uh, Kate Welch has been dungeon mastering on IGN, a show yes. called Hellbound. That's really um, good. And all of the terrible descriptions of what is like in hell are real. I'm not real, but they are... You know for a fact! They're visceral. You feel them. I think there was clouds of fingernail clippings coming at them and things like that. So it is it is quite vile and uh, not a fun place to be in, uh, but your adventurers will have to overcome all of that. You're almost vomiting over there in the corner. Just think about the fingernail or or like toenails. Yeah. You should also hear the sound of somebody's clipping them and you know. (laughs) Are you seriously doing that right now, right here? That's like not, uh, oh my God, that is gross. It's almost like instead of hearing like crickets happening in the background, (laughs) it's like, nope, it's just like little click, 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 click. And then you realize you're getting hit in the face That's, with like little pieces of fingernail. It would be really That's interesting hell. to see like if like there is such a thing as like your own personal hell mm-hmm. and the types of things that would show up there to surprise you. I'm really hoping Dungeon Masters uh, bring that to life. Obviously, there's lots of material in that oh. book 
and examples, but I want, you're right, bring it, bring bring it to the it personal to make hell. It, make it personal. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? And think of all the fun things. I mean, I haven't really even considered this, but, you know, if, if you have a longstanding group or a campaign where a lot many of uh, characters might have passed away, whether they're NPCs or <gasps> player characters, here's a perfect chance to bring, bring them, them back. back. You bring can them back. feel their, their souls and bring what's been back, happening. Bring them back, but like Pet Cemetery. Yes. They're not the same. They're not the same, or they're yeah. in soul coin form, and you have to, like, put it into oh, your yes. machine. You know, this character that you love playing with in 3.5 era. Oh, by the way. Oh, my God. Todd Hedron's soul is powering your infernal war machine. That's so good. I know, right? I'm doing that when I'm dungeon mastering. Now, mm, I'm liking the idea of, like, personal hells. You're getting it. What does that say about me? That that is what would get me excited about being a dungeon master. It says that you're a creative (laughs) author type. Making people miserable. (laughs) Sounds like you're a mother. In real life and fantasy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A parent of any kind. That's right. Yes. Uh, that's um, or my kids like to think that I put them through hell. But well, they don't, don't even you know. You don't give them cheese sticks. <laughs> Starve those poor children. You think you get this cheese stick in in Avernus? You do not. <laughs> all right. It will be melted. Melty. You, you get it, and then all of a sudden it turns to uh, one large fingernail, and you're like, oh god! Just as you put it in your mouth. Oh. oh uh. Yeah. So. Some things to look forward to in Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. So gross. Um, on top of that, we have the Dice and Miscellany set that is coming out on the same day. It's gorgeous. Uh, I opened this up on D&D News uh, this week. It is, in fact, gorgeous. I yep. love the through line for how uh, Emi Tanji designed all of the uh, graphic art on she's, the package. She knows what Ooh, she's doing. It's perfect. Uh, people are really noticing it. So when it is uh, launched next Tuesday or uh Last Tuesday, depending on when you hear this, pick it up. It's worthwhile. The dice set is awesome, but all the stuff you get along with it is super cool. Like um, what? Uh, so you get uh, a felt-lined box uh, that opens up into two dice trays. Awesome. Two Share dice them trays. with your friend. Nice little sound when you roll upon it. Um, there is also a wealth of information, including a map of Avernus that so is cool. uh, a little bit larger than the one that is in the book itself, plus... Lots of content such as uh, trinkets that you might find on people in uh, hell. All this is in there. Encounters, um, uh, size comparisons between devils and demons, little bits from Volo, uh, from Volo's Guide to Monsters fame, um, about each one of the types of devils and demons uh, that you might find in the first layer of hell. So great content, uh, worthwhile for anyone who is interested in playing Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus or likes devils and demons because I know there's people out there yeah. like that, that do that. Um, there's also another little bit, uh, not little, but form factor little. Well, yeah, it's physical size is actually little. Battle for Baldur's Gate. Yes, the Tell Dungeon Mayhem it. expansion. Our first ever expansion for Dungeon Mayhem. Now, I, uh, someone asked this on Twitter, and I, I, I answered because it seemed to make sense, but can you confirm that there are now six characters that you can play with? So six people can play Dungeon Mayhem at one time together? Not officially. But, okay, now it's official. No. When? Why not? Because the rules are still for two to four players. Oh. Well, how does that change? Tell me. Well, you now have six options. Ah. So the thing is, and I answered somebody's question too, was that there's no official rules for six players. So if you were home with six friends playing it, you are not going to get into trouble or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Shelly's not going to come down. But there is no official six-player rules. Does – why – does it – my question is, how does that change if it's from Keto. four players or six players? Do you don't know? I do know. Tell me why. Well, I mean, let's talk after. Okay. <laughs> 
Tell me why. And she won't tell me why. Uh, I feel like you have to go on spoilers and swag so you can spoil all these things and not feel uh, uh, unhappy about it. There are not six-player rules. Included. What if there's seven-player rules? There's actually rules? not rules included at all. So if you just bought the expansion and that was your first ever Dungeon Mayhem yeah. game, you don't have the full rules in there. Ah, so, so you, you need to have the base the game. The base game is where the full rules are, or you can find them on our website. Oh, okay. Let's be honest. Cool. We'll look in there, and then perhaps you know, my, my question will be answered in, within there. It won't be. <laughs> I mean, in in the future, in the future, my question will be answered. Maybe. Maybe. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm going to start playing with my five friends. and You're not going to get in trouble. I want you to yell at me. I want you to say why. (laughs) On your window? Who's that? Hey, hey. There are not five-player rules in there. (laughs) I'm going to burn your house down. (laughs) (laughs) You're playing with too many people. Uh, So what you you do get to play with is Minsk and Boo, who are a single character deck in the expansion. Yes. And Jahira, who is a shape-shifting druid. (gasps) So you may be a human if you're just playing her. Or you can shape-shift into a wolf or a bear. And then you get to do all sorts of cool things when you're in bear or wolf form. I like wolves. Quinn had a lot of fun with that deck. Yes, I let him play it before it's come out. Okay. What? Yes. He's a good play tester, that's why. He is. He provides the feedback for the target demo, as they say. Yes, and I don't say, oh, honey, you're like 10 months too late for that. But okay, <laughs> I'll go ahead and fix that for you. Right, I'll, I'll put that up the chain. <laughs> but he, uh, he believes that he's the first person to have played it. Because he knew it wasn't released yet. He was oh. Like, oh my god, I can't believe this. And he's telling all his friends about it. He's the first person to ever play. Yeah. It. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, here's the secret: you got to start enrolling your kid at the same school that uh, uh, Shelly's kids at, and then you'll get all the then you scoops. Get all of, yeah. Yeah, that's the way to do it. And you can play Pokemon Go while you're waiting for the bell to ring. <laughs> I do that. New obsession that's happening. We are in deep, my friends. In deep. So that's all happening September 17th. The dice set, the adventure, yes. and ba- Battle for Baldur's Gate. We have another awesome thing. Uh, Tyranny of Dragons, a um, reprinting of the two tomes uh, that was the first adventure that was released yeah. for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Uh, there was two tomes. There was uh, uh, Horde of the, Horde Dragon, of the Queen Dragon Queen and, and Rise of Tiamat. And they are now whoosh, fused together to with be one. That cover, though. Oh, my God, that cover. That's so cool. With Tiamat stylized in the Hydro 74 way. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That would um, make a really good back tattoo if you're interested. I just got it. It's really cool. That's why I'm so hot right now is because of the... Uh, uh, no, uh, I should probably uh, take off my shirt so you guys can see Oh, that. yeah. There we go. This whole episode is just about getting Greg <laughs> to disrobe. <laughs> well, you mentioned the pumice stone. I'm going to take my shoes off. I'm not doing that. Slipped off my shoes. Oh, my calluses are burning. <laughs> my bunions. <laughs> I actually have a bunion. Did you know? Uh, no. Paul Bunyan? <laughs> let's tell more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Tyranny of Dragons comes out on October 22nd, only in game stores. It only has the cover uh, that you'll see with Hydro 74 of Tiamat. But that's not all that's happening no. this Fall. No. What else is coming? November is coming. November is coming. That's and with it, November 19th, big day. Yes. Big day in the game stores. Tell us about it. Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty. <gasps> Who's going to win? I, only time will tell. Now is you it have the, to play it. You have to play it to find Tabletop out. Tabletop role-playing game adventure. Yes. Man, who came up with that? Someone named Shelly Mazenoble. 
That is so exciting. Oh. Uh, the box set will have everything you need to play Dungeons and Dragons in the realm of Rick yes, and Morty-ish. Yes, as the Rick and Morty characters. We were just brainstorming some potential Lori Should Know segments about what's in that set because I don't know. I want to know more about what's happening in that lore. It's Well, so this is Rick's D&D. Yes. You're playing his way. And while he says, like, whatever, Wizards of the Coast, you think you know D&D. But he really knows D&D. Right. And the thing is, is, like, it's it's crazy. Like, his advice can be a little off the wall. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of it that I'm like, I think I'd use that. Like, talk about being inspired. I was inspired to be a DM after reading a lot of Rick's commentary. Sweet. Yes. That's what we want. Yes. Kate Welch has been uh, putting this all together and making it hilarious. She really, I mean, we we could not have picked a better person to lead this project. Yeah. It's very her. Slam dunk. Totes. Swish. But that whole team was amazing. What, yeah. Ari Levitz and Adam Lee and Jim Zub all worked very hard on it as well. It looks really amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait. So that's November 19th. Yeah. Look for that. There's also um, some new episodes for that show coming around that time, right? Yeah. So Like right around. It'll be a perfect synergy. What? Get people excited about the show, and then all of a sudden you can play it with your friends um, and potentially get people who have never played D&D before into it uh, for the first time. So it that's would, really exciting. It would be really nice if we could have like a special launch party, like in Seattle. We're working on it. Well, I don't know. Maybe we will. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to hurt anyone's head over there that might be trying to plan something. It would Someone be really cool. Just saying. Oh, I got the double flip off. What? That's very Rick and Morty-esque. I was just going to say, he. I feel like he's channeling very it. on brand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, because you said on brand, you get hit with a Szechuan sauce that falls on top of you. Oh. It's like you, you can't do this on television where you say a certain thing. The and, slime? Yeah. That would be, maybe that's like a good... Segment. We're going to start sliming each other. Yeah. yeah, we'll get Mark Harmon, not Dan Harmon, Mark Harmon in here to host it for us. It would actually be better if it was Dan Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a thousand. Miles. What if he's doing a Mark Harmon impression? I love it even more. Done it. I'm sure he's never heard that joke you before. You can't do that on television. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so that is November 19th, but also we have another product coming out heard of around it. that time. Eberron, Rising from the Last War. Yes. Very excited about this new dip into a setting that has not had any uh, um, uh, material uh, in it from uh, for 5th edition. We had the Wayfinder's Guide yeah. to Eberron, which was a digital release last summer. A lot of people picked that up and provided tons of feedback to make the uh, uh, mechanics and lore uh, come to life even more so. Uh, the hardcover book that is coming out November 19th has 320 pages worth of material that'll be gazetteer about what's happening what? on the continent. 320. Of, yeah, that's a lot, right? That is so much. That is a lot. I know we've commented on that before, but that stood out to me again. It's true. Well, Dungeon of the Mad Mage is also 320 pages, but so it's that that level yeah. of of, uh, of tome that you will get Again, tons of setting material, lots of mechanics, things that you can add and even pull out and use in any other type of game or setting that you may want. Um, we'll talk more about uh, what are, what's really awesome about that book as we get closer. But one thing we want to note for y'all is a new cover. A cover we announced with back in August is actually going to be used as a uh, chapter one illustration. Cool. Uh, with some edits to it. But a new cover is on the... Uh, um, uh, standard cover that everybody will be able to get on November 19th. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a good-looking cover. Where there, can we see it? 
You'll be able to see it. Well, go to uh, the Dungeons & Dragons website, DungeonsDragons.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Wizards underscore DND. You'll be able to see that new cover. It'll be repopulated into all of the marketplaces now so you'll be able to see what that new cover looks like um but we're really excited about it very cool yeah it's very cool and then there's an alternate cover uh that will be coming out uh at that same time but only available in game stores also looks very cool it's got uh lots of airships and things going on that is not changed that is staying the same yes very cool uh so look for more information about that on this year podcast as we get closer we'll do some lore we'll do some more uh interviews with uh jeremy crawford and james wyatt who are uh two of the main designers on that book and it's going to be uh, a super interesting new take on fantasy it's it's a more i want to say more modern even though it's kind of more like right. industrial you know kind of using themes from early 20th century uh, in our world, uh, but infusing that with magic and, and fantasy. Lots of cool stuff going That's on gonna there. It's going to be fun. Very exciting. So, speaking of lore, let's jump into some let's right about now with some Chris Perkins speaking into your ear holes. Bing, bong, bing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fun segment of Lore You Should Know. I'm Greg Tito. And I'm Chris Perkins. And we're here to talk about a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons lore for you to get inside your brain pan and hopefully use in your game or just because it's fun to know these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about a subject that is in Eberron, Rising from the Last War. It's actually in that title. Can you guess what it is? It's not Eberron. It's the last war. Oh. Or not, it's not rising. It's, it's not, not rising. It, it's not yeast. <laughs> How does oh. yeast work in, uh, in well, that was right. So, yes, we're going to be talking <laughs> about the last war and what that means uh, for fans of Eberron. So, uh, last war implies that there were many wars uh, in Eberron. Is that true? There have been a few, yes. And this is the most worst, terrible one. Uh, and in my mind, it, it's, it feels analogous to how people in our world described the Great World War, which was called the War to End All Wars, uh, World War One. Yes, and and the last war is an analog for World War One, and it was essentially a conflict between the remnants of a splintered kingdom, the Kingdom of Galifar. Uh, what happened was the king died, mm-hmm. and his five children couldn't come to an agreement about who should sit on the throne. Mm. And so they went off and waged war against each other that lasted nearly a century until it was finally ended with an event called the Mornland, which I think we've talked about before. Yes, yeah. When we talked a about cataclysmic the event that wiped one of those five nations off the face of Corvair. So the entire last war itself lasted a century? Just shy of a century, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It ended, I think, two years before the, the standard start date to most Eberron campaigns. And so it's very fresh in the minds of the people of the nations of Ondair, Breland, Karnath, and Thrain, the four surviving nations. Um, and, you know, there have been events like that in uh, the, the real world uh, mm-hmm. here on Earth with things like the Hundred Years' War and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but that had lots of ebbs and flows within yes. it. Was this a similar war? It it was because it had essentially five participants, all of whom were self-serving. It had many fronts on many different borders and many different battlefields. And the tensions 
there would always be tension, but it might be some be a battle or a war being fought somewhere else. Karnath versus Thrain. Karnath versus Brayland. Ondare versus Thrain. Brayland versus Ondare. Yeah. Everybody was jabbing each other, essentially, with spears to death um, uh, slowly. And uh, there was never any alliance between them. Like, you never saw Ondare teaming up with Brayland, really, to fight Thrain, although they might surreptitiously be applying pressure to Thrain's borders at the same time, everybody was out for themselves. Like any good war gamer, you might think like, oh, now is my time yeah. because they're occupied over on yeah. this front. Well, there may yeah. have been some like game of risk shenanigans yeah. going on where two players were basically conspiring to end a third. But, but there, uh, were no, there were no large alliances between no any of those No lasting alliances, five. no. Uh, but it was very much, um, there was lots of espionage mm-hmm. in addition to just, uh, the last war wasn't simply forces on borders beating the crap out of each other until one army was wiped out and the other one or the other one was forced to retreat or whatever. There were um, uh, all, all kinds of espionage things going on, um, magical conflicts. Uh, Brayland had these, has these things called the flying citadels, mm-hmm. these gigantic floating castles essentially that served as mobile garrisons for their troops, whereas Ondare had flying towers. Carnath had, of course the nerve to <laughs> raise armies of the dead um, so that they wouldn't have to send their people into battle. They could send their corpses into battle instead. Uh, so they all um, fought the war in their own way. And at different times, uh, it, it sort of teetered or the advantage seemed to shift from one nation to another depending on the year. And because there was five participants, there would be m- many of those uh, momentum shifts. Correct. And I should mention that this battle played out on the continent of Cor- – or this, this war played out on the continent of Corvair, which also includes other areas. Those five nations did not dominate the entire continent. Oh, there okay. were uh, places where other people were living, which were kind of on the fringes of the war and may have felt some of it, but they weren't on the front lines. But often – they get pulled into it, like the the um, corsairs of the Lazar principalities and their ships often played um, roles in naval skirmishes or would be hired by, say, Breland to provide shipping and supply lines uh, to get around the enemy, things like that. Yeah. So the war pulled in a lot of these outliers and some – even though – there were places in Corvair that today would count as nations that didn't have an active role in the war. It feels like they were involved. Yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And there was a lot of like resource scrounging and things like that. And open territory that often would just get in the way. Um, and so – or, or get, get used for some warlike purpose even though it didn't belong to any of the nations in question. And most of the participants were, were human-led nations, is that right? Correct, yes. So what, what kingdom about... Kingdom of Galifar was a humanocentric kingdom. And uh, were, there, were there other kingdoms that were more elf-centric or dwarf-centric that would be involved in this? Or? Um, there, were, there were non-humans involved. For instance, the Valinar elves, mm-hmm. which came up from the island continent of Aranal originally and laid claim to territory in Corvair took advantage of the conflict to try to seize more territory for themselves during the war. And so they carved Valinar out 
and Valinar elves being um, very martial mm. and uh, also made great mercenaries, uh, cavalry, send them, you know, basically hire, pay them to do some bloody work. Mm. But then you had to watch out because they would turn around and snatch the territory that they'd claimed for themselves. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so interesting. That was it wasn't even though it was a human centric war. There were all these different factions and different right. uh, yes. uh, races. Right. Yes, and part. Uh, the dwarves of the Maror holds they were instrumental in the war because of the resources that they could provide, and because in in a sense they were the safe guardians of the currency of the realm, the coin of the realm, the minting of the protecting of it, the distribution of it, things like that. So they tried to main, they tried to be neutral in the conflict, but you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, you lean on somebody enough, they'll give you what you want. And so a lot of them got pulled into the espionage. And especially since this war lasted for so long, mm-hmm. there was definitely periods uh, where yes. they might have been working with one yes. nation and then by the end of that decade, they were working with a different one and it changed. Yes. Right? And then there's the other war that was happening at the same time and that's the PR war. Mm. And so Eberron is a fairly advanced in terms of its magical tech. And there are things in Eberron that don't exist in all D&D worlds like... Uh, national newspapers mm. and things like the Koranberg Chronicle and the Sharn Inquisitive were tools that the various um, nations used to turn public sentiment for them and against their enemies. And so there was a lot of that going on. Uh, the gnomes of Zilargo, uh, where Koranberg is located, and uh, they got involved in the war through words. And mm. also through spying and espionage. Yeah, so you mentioned that a couple of times. How did that play out for for these nations? By by, it was it simply just being oh, being able to find out where army movements were going and then mm-hmm. being able to attack them, or was it more nefarious than that with assassinations and whatnot? It was all of the above, okay. and it was things like allowing bringing the press along to watch the brutalities of war, so that you could write a you know a, a piece that people would read about how unfairly or how brutal the, um, the Brelish were, mm. you know, to, turn, to try to turn King Boronel's own people against him in a way. Um, and did that happen? Did there, were there revolts that happened throughout there were war? There were within the last war, because it was so long and it's exhausting, and you know how blame often shifts during those types of things. Yeah. You start to blame, you start to look for blame everywhere. And uh, there were assassination attempts within nations mm-hmm. of their own leaders. Uh, By like coup? Like, like yeah, military yeah, leaders trying to take over? Yeah, renegade, renegade military detachments trying to you know, uh, unseat the king uh, in Breland, in Karnath. Uh, uh, political pressure brought to bear against uh, like uh, the wizards of Ondair questioning the wisdom of their leaders dragging them into this conflict. Yeah. Um, the fear of losing what you have for the possibility of gaining more is sometimes hard to overcome. Yeah. Uh, uh, there were, there were, it was also hard because all of these warring nations basically came from the same family and had the same religious underpinnings. So there's sort of a brother against a brother kind of aspect that you can't shake yeah. in that situation. We're at, we're, yeah, we're attacking and killing Thranes, but they worship the sovereign host just like we do. Mm. Or they, they, well, they're the silver flame. That's a bad example. But um, 
they these are not this is not us fighting orcs this is not us fighting giants this is not us fighting trolls this is us fighting each other yeah um, all because two siblings or five siblings couldn't agree on who should sit on a chair and that that was probably way more true uh, at the beginning of the war yes. but once i mean once once the war goes on you know how these things go suddenly the hatred comes in yeah this nation destroys this town you know, a, a, a sire attacks Vatherond, a town in Breland, and the Brelish don't get over that. Yeah. And, and those hatreds loom. And then, you know, after sire is destroyed but, and becomes the Mornland and all the Syrian refugees are displaced, King Borinel says, okay, we can make a home for you in Breland. And his people are going, what the hell? These are our enemies. Why are you giving them a harbor? We should just wipe them off the face of the the continent, those hatreds linger on. Yeah. And part of the Eberron campaign is you're not in the war, you're two years after the war, dealing with the fallout. Yeah. And some of the fallout is emotional. I was just going to say, because I mean, this, I mean, if you're talking about uh, a nearly 100 years war, that's three or four generations yes. of people mm-hmm. that have only known their right. reality yes. as this conflict. Correct. And the emotional and psychological toll for, for an entire people, but also the individuals involved, must have been extreme. Exactly. And if you're an adventuring party in this time in, in, in Eberron's uh, history, the two big questions or two of the biggest questions you have to answer are, did you fight in the war? And whether, that, whether you did or not, who did you lose in the war? Mm. Um, because you probably lost somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's... 99 times yeah. out of 100, you're going to have uh, exactly. some loss that you're dealing with that still feels like an open wound. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. It is. And the, the thing that distinguishes it, of course, from just a, a war that we would fight on Earth is the magical component. Yeah. And magic was a huge component. It, it's what gave birth to the Warforged, which were um, soldier, um, you know, living constructs, basically. About, We've talked about them in the past. I mean, to my understanding, they were... Uh, invented, for lack of a better term, during this great war. Correct. When in that 100 years did that occur? Um, fairly well in. Uh, oh, okay. Decade, so, yeah, essentially decades in. House Caniff, which is one of the dragon-marked houses of Corvair, and we'll, we've talked about dragon marks before, but we'll talk about them again. They basically decided to um, use their magical know-how to build, to forge, if you will, <laughs> For, for war. For war, uh, soldiers. And they didn't say, we're going to do this for you, Karnath, and nobody else. They said, we'll do it for everybody. And so you have everybody fielding war, starting to field warforged armies and warforged from the same forge fighting on different sides, potentially against each other. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was a very canny, Kenneth thing to do to um, basically serve as an arms brokers for all all these nations trying to destroy each other. It's hard to imagine what Kenneth's long-term thing is, what their actual goal is there, because it seems kind of counterproductive to make potentially enemies of everybody. Yeah, it, but, almost, it would almost be the equivalent of a uh, someone in our real world being like, uh, I'm going to make tanks, and then all of a sudden I'm going to sell tanks to everybody yeah, who to wants to the Chinese, them. the Russians, the Libyans, yeah. the Iranians, the Americans, everybody. Yeah, yeah. everybody. We're all going to get, gonna get at the same time from this independent. Yeah, uh, our uh, technology can kill anybody. Yes. yes. Uh, but for Kenneth, what it really was was we love to invent things, and we want to see if we can do this. Mm. Uh, it was driven more by 
the exercise of creating life than worrying, even concerning themselves with what they were ultimately how used for. How, how much of the magical technology that is you know, one of the major underpinnings behind Eberron, how much of that was born by this conflict? Uh, so like lightning trains and some of the, uh, you know, the galleons and stuff that we have mm-hmm. talked about before, like were they invented because of this war? Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the transportation technology um, didn't come about so much from the war but from the humanoid, human need to expand uh, and, and to prove themselves uh, the most sophisticated advanced civilization. It, human arrogance basically bore those things out. Okay. But things like the Warforged, things like the Flying Citadels, uh, Arcane Cannons, the Warforged Colossi, all of those things were essentially born to help either monopolize or uh, monetize the war or end it. The reason, I, I'm trying to draw the, the comparison between like, you know, how we have um, you know, nuclear technology to a certain extent because of the war, or the right. World War II, or you yes. know, uh, uh, the fact that uh, even you know, uh, the automation of tanks and things like that grew because of World War I and, yes. and, and things like that. If, Is that if, if humans didn't feel like it was – if they weren't repelled by the idea of being killed in the war, the Warforged never would have come to be. Mm. Um, that's just a clear case of – magical technology born out of a fear right. of just getting killed. But lightning trains and things like that were, were already kind of in, in they were kind of, of time? Those kinds of things were uh, used ahead of time. Um, okay. And then um, repurposed, I guess you could say, for yeah. the war. That makes sense. Uh, and so, but it's, it's very strange because uh, unlike Kenneth, which didn't seem to have too many moral qualms about giving everybody Warforged, uh, and they justified it by saying, well, they're just Warforged. They're just Warforged, who cares if they die? Mm. Um, other dragon-marked houses were less likely to want to get directly involved because their future really was contingent upon them staying above the war. Uh, they, all, they have a monopoly. They have each, each dragon-marked house basically has a business monopoly and they can leverage that during the war but they don't want to risk losing it or having a nation turn on them. Right. So... Okay, so so if, you're gonna, if, you're, if you're a house Orion and you're basically in control of the lightning rail system mm-hmm. and that lightning rail system crosses at the time all of the five nations, you don't want to be the one responsible for destroying that. Okay, you so don't want Karnath saying, house Orion has become more of a problem than a benefit to us. We're going to blow up the conductor stones across our nation because that would have crippled Orion's ability to – get from one place to another. As well as make money off of it. Exactly. Right. So they had to walk a delicate line of neutrality. So there was two hierarchies. There was the, the national loyalty and the, the yeah. Dragon Mark house loyalty yeah. uh, that was going on. Um, of, the, of the five combative nations, um, w- did they have different characters or were they basically, you know, uh, I don't want to hesitate to say like the good one and the bad one, but like were, were there ones that were, you know... The way that we, we've tried to portray them in lore is to say none of them were evil universally, um, but they all did very bad things. Mm. And the fact that they're all human, the fact that they all, all this conflict was born out of one family, siblings, a sibling rivalry on a continental scale. It's like King Lear times 25. Yeah, exactly. Sort of bears that out. Um, 
you could say they were all evil. They were all bad. They mm. should have had more sense and just, you know, killing each other. Put the oldest one on the throne and be done with it. Yeah. Instead, this happened. So they're all to blame. Now, some of them are have well, to some extent they all have something dark under the under the hood. Uh, they're all deeply troubled. Did they have leaders that you know change? Obviously, obviously changed throughout the, the course. Yes. Of their, so one yes. that might have had you know a, a more noble uh, uh, goal early right. on in the war yes. could be very different by the end of the war. Right. Yes. And it's hard to really tell the extent to which they were completely in control. Right. Mm-hmm. Because as the as you know. No one person really could guide the war in the direction that they wanted to go. Um, yeah. If, you, if you're picking up the reins of the war from your father or your mother, you may, you may not even be interested in the war. You might, you might, or you might be so fervently angry at how this has come to pass that you think, and arrogant enough to think that you can you can make the war play out the way you want it, but it never works out that way. Interesting, yeah. So, Nobody got what they wanted, exactly. Yeah, so, so with all this many, many generations of dealing with this conflict, how, how could it ever have ended? Well, it ended in the worst way possible, in effect. Um, and we don't, and we've talked about this before, we deliberately in the campaign don't tell you the cause but we do tell, we do say that the war ended the day Sire was destroyed in the magical cataclysm known as the morning, the day of mourning. Uh, the theories of what happened in Sire are all over the map. They range from Sire causing its own self-destruction, essentially with the testing of a weapon that they never got to use against one of their enemies that just went off and in, in their own territory, in their own territory, to hey, this was an outside force possibly the Lords of Dust or um, the dragons pushing the world toward the draconic prophecy. It could have been um, any number of things that caused it. We leave it vague. It could have been a House Caneth creation forge disaster. Mm. Um, All we know is it's a magical cataclysm. It's left magical after effects, a, a poisonous fog around the borders of what used to be Sire, random, weird, magical disturbances and yeah. twisted landscapes within Old Sire itself. So whatever happened, it was clearly a magical incident. Something that destroyed an entire nation? Yes, yeah. And then and once that occurred, all the others were like, whoa, whoa correct. this is, we've gone too far. Well, we have no idea what just happened. Um, uh-huh. Like, And Sire's gone. Who's next? Like, did the gods do this to us? Mm. You know, every question you can imagine is going through their heads. Their agents are trying to figure out what happened. The Sirens are completely collapsed. They've, they assume that one of their enemies just dropped, you know. All the ones that weren't in the, in the nation at the right, time. Exactly. That were in other territories. Yes. They're yeah. basically homeless now. Exactly. And yeah. they don't know what happened. They're either. headless too because they've lost their queen. Um, oh, right. Because she was in the capital city. So no city. leadership there. Exactly. So they've been decapitated and uh, they've just experienced a, a horrific Hiroshima-like, a Nagasaki-like event. So the four remaining nations are like, oh, maybe we should sit around the table and talk about this. And, and ha- also, had- also I think there was some of the, we didn't do it, right? 
right? Did you do it? Did you do it? Yeah. Like, who did it? We need to find out who did it. And so there's all the spies go out. Everybody's feeling around. Nobody's really got the sense that anybody knows what's happened. And that's when people get really scared because you suddenly realize, well, maybe it's an external threat. And if it's something else and we're fighting each other, yeah, we're not going to last long. So was there an accord? Did they- there was. The Treaty of Thronehold, which was signed in 1990, or 1996. 996. <laughs> hey, that's when I graduated from high school. 996. Uh, and uh, and which, which was the, that was the event that ended the war. Um, it took a couple – the war, it took a, you know, a, a short amount of time, relatively months, I guess, to have the forces meet. There was a great deal of indecision about where to meet. They still couldn't agree even at that point. But ultimately they did to meet on this small island in Sion Sound, which is kind of a point in the map of Corvair where the five nations kind of touch or they come very close to one another. Okay. Uh, all the nations get there fairly quickly except on there. Um, and so delegates met on the island of Thronehold, which was the seat of power for King Jarrot before he died. Oh, so it was like the old so capital got, city. Exactly. They gathered there and they signed the Treaty of Thronehold. And the Treaty of Thronehold not only said we, the remaining four nations of the five nations, end hostilities at once – we also recognize ourselves as distinct nations going forward and we also recognize the existence of other nations in Corvair besides us. Mm. The Valinar elves needed to be calmed down uh, so they got a nation and it was officially recognized in the Treaty of Thronehold. Uh, the goblins, the goblin kind of um, Dakan also got acknowledged. The gnomes of Zilargo, the dwarves of the Maror Holds, all of these nations got recognized as now their own nations. So what that did is that allayed fears from the dwarves that they would be annexed. That allayed fears from the gnomes that they would be annexed, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it basically painted the map of Corvair with a bunch of more extra nations in addition to the four surviving one. The Mornland, of course, was and is a wasteland that nobody can lay claim to. Um, House Orion's pissed off because it, it's cut off. It's basically cut a route uh, uh, a uh, lightning rail route. Can't go through there anymore. Can't go through there anymore. Yeah. Uh, And so, but the war ended with the Treaty of Thronehold. So far, the treaty is holding, but there's a Cold War that has begun to play out now. Spies are still wondering what's happened, what happened to Sire. There's enough blame to go around. There's lots of hatred and tension that exists. The fact that the five leaders didn't really solve their problem the thing that started the war. Yeah. They didn't come to any agreement. They didn't unify the kingdom of Galifar. They basically said, we'll stay in our separate kingdoms for now. Has created a great deal of unrest. And there's lots of, lots of people with theories about who's to blame for this horrific, horrific event. And displaced Syrians who were not in the country of origin when they lost it, yeah. who are still roaming around. And they're not recognized as a They're not recognized nation. as a nation. And a lot of people don't want them. Mm. Because they somehow blame them for what Exactly. Happened. And then you've got the added problem of we made all these soldiers to fight in a war yeah. and now we don't know what to do with them. I was just going to ask, are they mentioned in the Treaty of Thornhold? No. Interesting. No, it does not acknowledge them. What, what the, now, what the treaty did do is it did say you can't have warforged slaves. Okay. But that's it. They just said that they're not 
They're not property. They're, they're, and they're not a nation. And we had talked previously before about an individual warforged named the Lord of Blades who yes. takes umbrage with that and feels like the warforged should be a nation, possibly yeah. the only nation <laughs> since they fought the war right. um, ultimately in his mind. Uh, and so there's, there's that lingering. There's a the development. Yeah, there, there's a development there. Well, what you've described uh, is is a a continent that is rife with adventure. Yes, yes. intrigue and intrigue. Yes, uh, which I like that too. I, I don't think I really. I mean, I think we've mentioned intrigue, but now I'm like really. Oh, what? that's what's the major mystery is what happened two years ago, mm-hmm. and who was to blame, and how can we use that to my nation's advantage? Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good way to go. Interesting. You can get a really good campaign out of that, um, as well as maybe independent. When we talk about researchers and universities uh, uh, that might be out there who are searching also for this, just for the sake of truth. Yes, and then there are there are little things that you can just sort of tug on. Like for instance, during the the re the settling after the Treaty of Thronehold, a a city that used to be part of Ondere was basically annexed by Thrain. Ondere wants that city back. Mm. Uh, that that never that still doesn't sit well with them. So the border was not drawn in a way that they exactly. They so these good. border disputes uh, are are out there. The fact that there is a nation that is emerging now, the nation of Droam, which is the sort of a nation of monsters, that feels like it should have been defined as a nation, mm. uh, but wasn't in the treaty. So the goblinoid was, but not uh, yeah. this one. Is that the one that's run by Hag? Yes, is that correct? Yeah. So they're a little prickly about that. So yes. there's all kinds of prickly little. Uh, barbs. I know. Yeah. I think you almost did like three, four, five, six different Laurie Should Know topics within here that we'll have to yeah. go deeper into. Right. That was a great overview of, yeah. of, of what's happening after the last war. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, how can people ask you some questions if they might have it on uh, social media? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. I, uh, I look forward to see, hearing more about what's happening with uh, Eberron rising from the last war. And it comes out on November 19th, 2019. Not too far at all. <laughs> it's very close. I see. I'll see if you will rise from the last war. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll be back with more lore soon. Oh, man. I feel like Chris always tells me things I don't know. But you should But I should know. And now I do. now you do. He's done it again. Once again. Slammed it shut. What if all this time he's just like, I'm just going to go in there and make some stuff up. He's just ripping. And now it's lore. I know. Now it's canon. It is part of the canon. It's true. Yeah. If he's just like, I don't, what are we talking about? I'm just going to make it up. (laughs) We wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. Actually, no, we would. We would know. I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) The way he says it with authority makes it true. It's emphatic. Yeah, it's very Mm -hmm. true. Um, But it is all backed up by some fun stuff that has created uh, over the decades from the Dungeons & Dragons community. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, one person that I I adore speaking to in the Dungeons & Dragons community is Mr. Cicero Holmes. Yes. So let's call him up and uh, ask him all the things. Yes. Yes. Cicero Holmes, hello! Yeah. Oh, the audience loves him! Usually they're throwing 
rotten vegetables when they hear my name. No, no, no we've got confetti. Yes. Pyrotechnics. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Applause signs flashing in our, in our faces. Absolutely. How Absolutely. are you doing? Doors are opening and closing. I am doing great. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, thanks for having me. It is a wonderful day in the Chicagoland area. We just had uh, a wicked bundle of storms that that race through and, and uh, flooding. So I didn't get washed away. So. Oh, and flooding too. That's nice. good. That's good. Probably yes. check on my in-laws, I guess. We had some yeah. crazy thunderstorms too uh, oh. in Seattle, which, which never happens for Seattle. here. Yeah, yeah. It just rains there. It doesn't, yeah, you don't get, th- don't you get don't the get theatrics. lightning in the thunder. I think the uh, the god of, of, of thunder is, has been visiting us. So yeah. uh, I didn't think he likes it. Thor here. 4 is being filmed here, confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. There you go. There you go. Nice. Uh, so uh, people may know you on this here D and D community as being a part of Rivals of Waterdeep. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is a thing I do. I am one of the rivals, Rivals of Waterdeep, right here on Twitch.tv slash D and D Sundays at noon Central, uh, ten a.m. Pacific. Ooh, wow. And Thank uh, you for converting. time zones. Yeah, time zones. Yeah. And I think you had done some uh, uh, D&D or RPG play uh, ahead of playing with Rivals, or, or were you completely brand new? I am completely brand new. Oh, In fact, did- I, had, I had never rolled um, anything larger than a six-sided die before. Wow. How does before. this happen? How do you go from never playing to be like, I'll be on your live stream? Right, right. I'll be on your live stream in LA in front of a live audience for, right. for the first time. <laughs> How uh, does this happen? So it, you know, uh, everything comes back around to the the seminal uh, 1989 movie uh, Batman from Tim Burton, and uh, Jack Nicholson, who played the Joker, said it's all about trust, and and that's what it was really all about. It was really all about trust, and and. Uh, and trust in Tanya to pass. Um, you know, in Tanya, we trust. Tanya was, um, I guess, approached by Greg. Greg is like, Greg is if if we if we are a sitcom or if we're a uh, a show, Greg is like Charlie from Charlie's Angels, and we are all his angels. <laughs> yes, that's uh, a great, great um, example. I love that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Greg Greg approached Tanya about. Uh, you know, getting some people uh, specifically in the Midwest and and hopefully some, some you know, people of uh, uh, darker hues uh, to get together and, and play and play Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, she approached me and, and some other people and, and we got together with another group of, of people and we kind of formed like a boy band uh, <laughs> and, and, created, and created the Rivals of Waterdeep. And it has been harmonious music ever since. I am so, so happy. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll say is that I, I didn't, I didn't, I was always aware of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, growing up, I, I had heard about it, but I didn't really know anybody who played. But, and I'd always considered myself a nerd. But, D and D was a level of nerddom that even I was kind of, uh, I, I guess, like uh, I was shunning for for whatever reason, and you know I couldn't be more upset with myself for having done so for so long because it is so much fun, it is so brilliant. I am having a blast with with my castmates. It is just a great experience, and the more I 
walk around and talk about D&D, the more, the more I run into people who play yeah. or who had played in the past and, and really want to play again. And, you know, you can see the light and the joy in their eyes when they talk about it. Yeah. That is true. If you ever want to meet some really nice people, yes. you either go to Target and wear a red shirt. Yes. Or I've done that. you wear a D&D t-shirt anywhere. Yes. And you will meet pe- people. Will come to you. I there's never a time. I always say like Quinn and I will be out running errands and like watch. At least three strangers are going to come up to mommy today, and they do. <laughs> they're just like, oh my god, you play D and D, or I love D and D, or then they start telling about their campaign, or like, oh Dungeons and Dragons. I'm trying to get my kid into that. It's yeah, like, it's amazing. Yeah, and and to your point, like I feel like there were a lot of people who uh, didn't didn't talk about it so openly, even if they were fans, right. um, because of that. The yeah. shunning or, 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 or the idea that uh, you can't necessarily be as honest about that. But that seems to be completely wiped away at this yeah, point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah it was, you know, I mean, it. so over the last, I don't know, five, ten years, it's become more and more cool to be a nerd. Um, and I, But I, I feel like the last barrier of nerddom that, that became cool, you know, was D&D. And I think it kind of coincided with 5e, with the release of 5e and the accessibility of 5e um, that that allows players, if they hadn't played in a long time and they're able, you know, they come back recently um, to, to see that it's a lot easier to come in and kind of hit the ground running. And for players like such as myself who had never played before, um, you know, 5e has been a godsend for me and in, in my ability to acclimate to the rules and the systems and, and feel like I'm proficient enough and, and confident enough in, in the game itself to, to want to uh, become a dungeon master um, okay, on a live stream <laughs> after just after a year. I, that We definitely are going to dig into that because I read that and I was like, what? That's crazy. But also, it was crazy that you got into D and D on a live, like a live show. Like I'm going to play this game. But um, going back to what you were just talking about, yeah. the a, a lot of why a lot of people more more people are playing now, or there's the stigma is is kind of being erased, is um, due largely in part to what you and the rivals of Waterdeep are doing, and all of the other streamers out there is people can see it being played. And before there was such a mystery about this game because, well, it's not a board game. Right. There are no meeples. <laughs> like I don't understand how this <laughs> right. is a game. Right. And right. but now like people can actually sit and watch that. It's just people having fun around the table and getting Absolutely. you know really getting that enjoyment out of just being together. Right. Which right. Is clear. And, you know, and that's that's the thing that uh, you know as we become more uh, disassociated from human connections right. uh, via the internet. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the conversations that we have are digital. Um, being able to kind of uh, unplug in a way and sit down and, and uh, you know, I, I come from the video game world. So you know, there was always this talk about the, the lost art of the, the couch co-op game, the local co-op game where you and your buddy sit down next to each other and you get to sit and play. Um, that has gone away for, you know, and now it's an online game. Your buddy will come over to your house and go into another room and, and plug up a TV so that the <laughs> two of you can play together. Um, yeah, being able to sit at a table, look someone in the eye and interact with them and use your imagination. Yeah, uh, is is something that uh, you know th- that we've we've kind of lost 
we've kind of lost a little bit and I'm glad that it's coming back and, and the way that it is. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point. You were mentioning, you know, I mean, because we definitely want to delve into Dungeon Mastering because that's really exciting for season five of Rivals of Waterdeep starting on September 22nd. You will be taking the reins. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, but before we get on to that, I mean, when you were talking about getting into to, uh, playing for the first time, I'm curious to uh, what it's like as a newcomer, you know, because I, I had definitely played... You know, some I, I had uh, first edition books that I had read. I, you know, I played some three point five and, and and fourth and fifth. So I always had these touchstones of of knowing how it went. But I'm really curious as someone because you and I, I think have have of a lot in common. We both have done yeah. some stand up comedy and right, and right, and, and, yeah. and uh, uh, performance of that nature, as yeah. well as uh, you know the, our love of Star Trek is 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 right. very similar. <laughs> Um, so having that like blind spot for Dungeons and Dragons, what was it like getting into it for the first time? And, and what was it about just even seeing those books that, that, uh, the, that newcomers I think could, uh, could benefit from your experience? Yeah. So it, I think one of the great things, or at least for me was that I had experience with, with some improv, with stand up, with theater, um, so that helped me with the role play aspect, you know, that helped me with the improvisation aspect of it. Um, the other thing that I had was lots of video game experience, playing lots of RPGs. So I understood the concepts that were, you know, that the RPGs had that they drew from from Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so being able to see those things on on the page it wasn't as foreign to me as maybe I expected it to be. Mm. And um, so that was, that was pleasant. And, and, and the, you know, the other part of it was that it just, I was, I was prepared for it to be so much more number crunchy, uh, so much more nerdy, um, you know, push my glasses up than it ever was. And, and when I saw that it wasn't, when I saw that it was, Oh, okay. Well, here's here are your stats. Here are your different attributes. Here, you know, you rolled your dice. You here here as you're building your character. Here are the different things that you have, and because your number is above, you know, whatever the threshold is, you gain uh, an attribute boost of plus two for these different attributes. And I looked at it. Oh, that kind of makes sense. And then as I started to read through spells and understand different pieces of the lore it all started to fall into place. Um, it, you know, it really was one of those memes where like, you know, you take the limitless pill and you <laughs> see all the numbers and they're all just kind of falling <laughs> into place. Uh, it, it, it really did. Um, it kind of came to me it's, it, and it spoke to me in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting it. I think, I think you're right. I mean, when people say like, what is the reason why uh, D and D is so popular right now? Um, I mean, the streaming is is a big part of it. People are able to yes. see it happen, so they have that re- frame of reference. But it is that other parts of our culture have have grown in popularity that drew from 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 uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So it, right. all those pieces were all there, and it wasn't as big of a, a step as you thought it was going to be. Um, and, right. Uh, yeah. It's. I mean, I, I've been watching a lot of uh, Harry Potter recently, just because my kids are getting into the books again and and nice. uh, the movies. And I'm like, man, the popularity of this. Mm-hmm. Series as well as Lord of the Rings, fifteen years ago or eighteen years ago, however long it was, right when those when those were coming out, laid a lot of the grand, grand, groundwork for oh, yeah. people to to latch onto things that used to be for for the for the fringes, but all yeah. of a sudden were right. mainstream. Right. 
Yeah, there was like <laughs> now you have like sections in school libraries that are like like the fantasy section of a library is huge right. because like the right. Harry every Harry Potter and then all of the the books that spawned off of Harry Potter or yeah. like anything that's about dragons or wizards or anything now. Right. That's yeah. Well, look, I mean, wasn't there before. At- Right. Look at all of the media that we consume. So, you know, you started, it started at the turn of the century with, with Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. And, and, you know, and now we just had uh, a movie make two or three billion dollars that was, you know, based on comic books, you know, yeah. based on comic books. And, and people have been watching 22 movies over the last 10 years to, to sit and watch the culmination of this. You've got Dark Crystal coming back yeah. after 35 years on, on Netflix and, and, you know, and then Amazon's got some crazy show with fairies and ogres and, you know, and, uh, you know, Orlando Bloom being beautiful. Like all of those things. Again. Are, yeah, right. right exactly. <laughs> Damn it. When, when does he age? Um, <laughs> He's an elf. He's he'll really he'll an live elf. forever. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Legolas. Um, <laughs> so it, like all of those things are like it, it really is kind of the perfect storm of of geekdom and nerdy culture just you know rising rising to to the top the cream always rises to the top and i think the the uh, most delicious the sweetest of creams is is the is the nerdy cream that is dnd yeah. yes I, I think part of it also maybe it's a little anecdotal just for the people that we hang out with but a lot of people like you, Greg, that have been playing, you've played D&D for a long time, mm-hmm. and now you have kids, and you want to expose your kids to that. Yeah. And now when these, when parents are, are showing their kids at a very young age, or they're just growing up around these books, or they're growing up around dice, or they're growing up watching this game that their parents play, it's just right. becomes, it's just part of life for them. Anything that you expose to a kid that early, it just doesn't yeah. become a big deal to them later on. He'll, they'll just be like, of course. Of course we play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's like family dinner, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It, it, yeah. It, and I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm trying to get my family into, really? into playing D&D. Um, that, that essentials kit that, that just came out yeah. uh, at, at your local Target. Um, <laughs> everywhere now. Available everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Available everywhere now. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to pick that up so that I can get everyone – everyone playing um my 11 year old nephew who lives down in kentucky was in summer camp and one of him and his friends designed a game because he he knew that i was playing rivals of Waterdeep, and and uh so yeah i mean just all of those things that are happening kind of as a result of of like you know (laughs) the excitement that i get uh the the excitement that i get from playing um it, it that that is infectious and in, you know and I try and and become an evangelist for for this game in in a way that uh it wasn't evangelized for me or in a way that even if it was evangelized for me I wasn't going to listen so. <laughs> uh and I, I love that now you're 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 wanting to jump into creating that story yeah. uh as as the dungeon master uh for for season five what was the what was what was your decision making tree for that? So, so we we decided kind of organically um, early on that we were going to have rotating DMs for rivals. Uh, everyone gets a season. Whoever wants to to be the DM, 
um, can go ahead and uh, throw their hat in the ring. And uh, Carlos was our DM for our first season and a half, two seasons. And and uh, Carlos Luna was brilliant. He's just, just uh, all my castmates. As we talk about my cast, I will say incredibly uh, complimentary things about them because I love them dearly and I think they're incredibly talented. Um, but Carlos was just a phenomenal DM uh, and he, you know, he, he really pushed us through the gamut of emotions. Um, but at the end of our second season, he, he was, you know, he said, you know what, guys, I think I just don't have the time to do this anymore. Um, can someone else be the DM for our upcoming season if we get one? And Sharif Jackson, um, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, jumped, jumped right up and said, yeah, I'll do it. And, and uh, Sharif had played a couple of role-playing games, uh, some uh, pen and paper games before we started doing Rivals, but he hadn't played D&D before. Um, so he was just as fresh, uh, actually fresher, in terms of t- deciding to take over the reins as, as a dungeon master when he decided to do it than I am right now. And he, uh, he did it, and he did a marvelous job. And one of the things that I think uh, is beautiful about the fact that we're doing these rotating DMs is that everyone gets a chance to tell their own story yeah. and they tell their own story in their own way, in their own words. And it's, it's a, uh, the story is a machination of their mind. So we are, while we're playing with the same characters, we're getting um, unique types of stories from these different DMs. Uh, so, you know, Sharif's was, was a, a, crazy romp through Waterdeep and uh, with tons and tons and tons of puzzles. Uh, And then season four was with the incredibly talented uh, Serena Marie as, as our dungeon master. And she started, she started with a goofy Scooby-Doo mystery (laughs) in Troll Skull Manor. Um, And then, then it turned into a time traveling heist. Um, And, uh, and we wound up in Averna. Oh. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I, I decided, um, I think I decided pretty early on that uh, after Serena's season that I would, I would take the reins um, and, and, you know, give it a shot. And I'm really excited. Uh, I, you know, I'm just really happy that, that it worked out this way, um, that we're not going to be in Waterdeep anymore. We're going to be in Avernus to, um, you know, to coincide with the release of the Avernus handbooks. Uh, so I'm really happy to, excited and and nervous and anxious to uh, to bring our group of rivals into the Nine Hells beyond Boulder's Gate and uh, see see what the River sticks tastes like. Hmm. <laughs> You're going to have a fun one. We were just talking about all the, the cloud of fingernails yep. that will be raining down upon them. Uh, uh, yes. Horrible things. And personal hells for yes. your players. Yes. So you went into this all the way back in the beginning. Yes. Knowing that this was going to be a live stream. This is a yes. game that you didn't, you weren't familiar with. And right. that eventually you were going to be asked to, to be a dungeon master. And you were uh, like, yeah, pretty in, early on. Um, uh. You know, the, the first the first two parts of that, I was definitely aware of. Um, you know, the live stream. I, I I've always been a performer, so that part didn't never bother me. Um, you know, it's just uh, you know when you when you're a theater kid, um, you know, we you are perform this. 
theater. Yay for theater kids. Yay. Yes, yes, right. <laughs> um, you know, so you, you perform the same way for one person as you do for a million people. Um, and, and so, you know, the fact that it was a live stream and, and there would be people watching was never something that bothered me. Um, the thing that I was more nervous about was making sure that I got the rules down and, and yes. I did all of the things right because I was such a neophyte to playing the game. Um, but then, you know, once I kind of got the hang of that, it was just, you know, making sure that the character is right and, and, and you know, the goofy voices that, that hmm. I wind up doing. Are, are consistent and good and, uh, you know, really help help people immerse them in uh, the story that we're telling and the characters that we inhabit. Uh, and then, you know, now, now I'm doing that times a thousand because, you know, I'll be the DM. So instead of just doing one goofy voice, I'll be doing many, many goofy voices. Multiple, yes. multiplied by yes. millions. Yes. Uh, what uh, do you have any 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 previews you can give us for what what is going to befall the characters in in, in the Vernus or how how you're uh, adapting the 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 printed adventure for for your dramatic telling? Yeah, well, uh, there um, there are uh, infernal war machines. They exist, um, so they will. They We're will confirming it now. Yes, yes, <laughs> you heard they it here. Uh, they they will be. They will play a part in in our in our season, uh, as well as the fact that uh, we'll you know we're going to hell, and you know hell is a place where not so great people come to not rest after they've been. <laughs> Uh, struck down in the mortal plane. And uh, during the course of our four seasons, we struck down a few people. So there is a chance that some, some, uh, some past residents and rivals to our rivals <laughs> they show up uh, uh, in, in our fifth season. That's super cool. I, would, I think that's such a great idea to be able to bring back, you know, uh, uh, past villains that, that they have contended against. Uh, so that's yes. going to be super fun. Um, the, uh, so yeah, are you, have you done any like rehearsal dungeon mastering sessions? Uh, uh, only, only as by happenstance. <laughs> um, so there were, there were two episodes during the course of our series so far. That you jumped uh, in, right? DM, yeah. Yeah. Where the, where the DM was not, uh, was not going to be available that particular week. So I, I actually stepped in and, and did, did the DMing. The, uh, and those were incredibly fun. And those, those were the things that kind of gave me the confidence to say, yeah, I can go ahead and do this. Um, the one difference between uh, what I'll be doing this season and what happened in those two, two guest spots were uh, that basically the story was given to me. And, and all I had to do was kind of, you know, fill in the blanks and, and allow the players at the table to help me paint the picture. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I've said on a bunch of panels um, about being a DM is you're, when you're a DM, you're Bob Ross, but the people at the table are your arms. And oh. you may want to paint a pretty mountain but they're deciding to paint clouds. And then you've got to describe how wonderful those clouds are. Oh, my um, God. As, as the DMs. That's so. so good. That is really good. <laughs> but you. now I'm imagining like, like a, a Bob Ross monster. Yeah, that's with, what I'm like. With your arms oh, on it. And you're like, ah. Happy little trees. <laughs> <laughs> 
It sounds like he's nice and friendly, but he's actually. I like it. Kill me. Um, so yeah, so I was able to. Um, so you know, I was able to to present their version of the of the pretty pretty mountain, and and watch the watch the players at the table turn those into clouds and just have to describe those. But now I'm going to have to create those mountains and uh, hope that hope that they continue to get built as mountains, but uh, always be prepared to always be to, prepared uh, for happy little trees. Happy little trees, absolutely. Um, another thing that I said at a panel was, uh, you know, don't be married to your story, be married to your table. Um, you and are so, profound. Uh, you know, hey, hey, I, I try to do this. I'm, I am Cicero after all. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's got a poet's, but, poet's brain. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so those are the things that I'm constantly thinking about as I'm as I'm trying to uh, construct the story and and get it ready and and you know make it good. Um, you know, that's that's the real that's the real thing that uh, I'm worried about is because the 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 DMs that have come before me um, that's sat in the seat that I'll be sitting in were just so so good. Um, that I, you know, I just want to be half as good as they are. And, and uh, so I'm, you know, working on making sure that everything comes out and, and sounds good, plays good, is descriptive, um, is, is visceral in the, in the right ways, is funny, is emotional. Um, you know, I'm going to try, try my best to play with a lot of different emotions um, and, and uh, be very evocative. That's the way to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know Shelly has been reluctant to get back behind the Dungeon Master screen. Uh, what, what advice would you give people who uh, feel that, that pressure a little bit too much uh, yeah. and, and, and encouragement to them? You just, you know, you just got to do it. You just got to do <laughs> See, it. See, that's it's, what I've been saying. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, look, you can be afraid. There are so many things in our lives that we've been afraid of doing because there's this this fear of the unknown. And then you do it and you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Not only was it not so bad, I really enjoyed it. I want to do it again. And and it, you know, and then you look back at your your past self and you you're like, well, why the hell was I so afraid of doing it in the first place? You know, what was all that trepidation? It just just do it. YOLO. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some more pithy phrases on there. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it, it's so it's the worst. It's the best phrase that has been just run into the ground to the point where you can't use it anymore. But like you, you really do. You only live once. So just just go out and do it. Yes. You know? Are you convinced? Shelly, stop being scared. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you have you have excellent advice and i know that if i were to try it again it's not going to be on a live stream <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not even going to be with people who know how to play D because i don't want them to know what i don't know it's probably going to be with kids yeah then yeah then your success rate has um has increased exponentially i i have i have removed a lot of obstacles <laughs> right. just just with that do you think it's it's easier to to DM for a group that you're already very familiar with and who well uh, that part yes but people who are already really familiar with the game? 
Um, it is, it's going to be the thing that is making me feel better about doing this is the fact that I'm doing it with my castmates because I trust them implicitly. Yeah. Um, and I trust that, uh, if there is a point where I start to stumble, they will be right there to pick me up. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I guess that's my, the fear, like, I know there would be parts where I did stumble and I think that's like, I will just fall apart. Because yeah. I don't want them – I don't want it to be their job to have to pick up their dungeon master. But that that is the job of the thing. It's I, I, Maybe there is, it's less I think of, I've always just had really good DMs. Well, maybe. Uh, but I think there is something about this, the table idea that, that, that Cicero is talking about where, you know, it's, it's less of a one-way street where the dungeon master is always – Telling the story, right? right? Like, it, it is a collaboration. And even, you know, when you, you, you talk about how the not knowing the rules, I don't know the rules. I mean, I, I know most of them, but, like, right. you know, as a dungeon master, if I don't know it, you just, you, you have to have the confidence to make it up or, or to right. rely on your, oh, I don't remember. Can, do you know what it is? And then all of a sudden you just proceed from there. And I think right. what's more important is almost having that kind of mom or dad or parent, like, not control, but, like, you're, you're, you're managing the meeting. Right? Yes. You know, yes. like you're the one who's leading the agenda. It doesn't mean right. that everything that you are doing needs to come from you, but you're just, you're, you're, you're stage managing. Right. And right. as long as you're doing that, it doesn't matter if you're the expert on every single little thing. Right. Maybe. Right? Very much, very yeah. much so. And, and the other thing to remember is um, these handbooks are guidebooks. They're not, yes. you know, they're not rule books. Right. And if, if there are things that you want to do in your adventure at your table that aren't, you know, to the letter of the rules that someone else determines are the rules, then who cares? You know, yeah. it's really about you guys at the table having a great time. Yes. Actually, a friend was just telling me about his D&D game and that the, the dungeon master doesn't want to break any rules. He literally wants to play by the book. Yeah, to yeah. the point where the players are like, "Come on, like, loosen up. Let us have some fun. You don't. You have to have the freedom to like mix things up or use your your own judgment." And he's like, right. "Well, then, then we're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, the only way to play D anD D is to play literally with the rules." And I said, "But that that's the one thing I have always heard from the people who make the rules. You don't. Right. There's no rules. Like, the only rule is right. to have fun and just read the table." So I actually had. Ask Jeremy to write this guy a note. Jeremy Crawford? You give him a note? You're like, here, this is from the lead designer no, I, of the rules. Yes. So Jeremy, I thought Jeremy was just going to be like, oh, sure, don't play by the rules. Signed, Jeremy Crawford. But Jeremy was like super thoughtful and wrote this really nice supportive note that was like, you know, the, the main, the only rule is, is to have fun and to make memories and, you know, to guide your players. Please, you know, you don't have to take any of this, you know, as the law. It's just a guide. You're the dungeon master. You're in charge. Yeah. It was so nice. And I sent it off to – I took – he – it's it's actually Rob Davio. So oh, I, really? Yeah, I sent I sent it – have to put it in the mail. But I took a picture of the note. I'm like, look at what Jeremy wrote. And he was like, oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Well, and what's even funnier is, like, I, I'm, I'm really glad Jeremy wrote that, like, you know – Larger explanation, but yeah. that a version of that is in the fifth it edition rulebook. It really is where it says the only thing that matters is what the dungeon master uh, is, is going to adjudicate at the table. Yes. You know, and I was going to say that there was you know back in uh, the early days when 
um, the term dungeon master wasn't used widely. The term right. that was used was judge. It was the person who oh, was wow. interpreting the rules at the table, right? Sure. And that's that's really what you have to do because the rules, especially in something as new as a role-playing game was back then, you can't cover every single corner case. There's going to be things that pop up that right. are not, there's not a rule explicitly or even a guideline explicitly written about it. So you had to interpret what the intention of the game would be, right? And so that's what a dungeon master is doing from 1974 to now, each time at the table. So, But a lot I, of that... Oh, go on. So, oh, no, no, no. no I, I was just going to say that I, I'm having an old man moment as uh, Greg was talking about uh, the judge. I'm just imagining Mills Lane at a table uh, adjudicating some rules. And, you know. I was thinking uh, Harry from Night Court. I, I went really, there too. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Judy. Judge Judy, yeah. I'd love to see her play. Yeah. But I think like when some you're Matlock. talking about like being like the definitive answer on like a, maybe like a misinterpretation of a rule or like this isn't clear, I'm not sure what to do, I think that's different than just people understanding you – you can literally make up your own rule. Like, I'm think about like when Chris Perkins DMs and like D and D Live when he he was DMing that the the game and with, he made up double double disadvantage. Double disadvantage. He made up double disadvantage. <laughs> he made up all sorts of stuff during that game, and I actually was like, okay, I'm kind of starting to feel like get. I'm starting to get this. Yeah, and that is like you you can be in a world where your players cast a spell and you're like. Magic doesn't work here. Okay. For whatever reason. There's yeah. a rule now in here, and I don't have to tell you why that's a rule or why. I mean, maybe eventually you'll figure it out, but yeah. you can do anything. Well, I mean, that's the point, right? Like, the, the, the beauty of this game and the reason that I've taken to it uh, so well is that you use your imagination. Like, that is your greatest tool, is your imagination. And to say, oh, well, here is a book, and we can't, we can't, you know, uh, deviate from this book removes the greatest tool that I have in my toolbox, which is my imagination. Yeah. I grew up as an only child. Um, my, I've got two younger sisters. Uh, shout out to Sarah, whose birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday. Sarah. Uh, uh, she'll never see this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell her that, that two strangers <laughs> wish you happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she but, feels so it right my, now in her heart. My baby sister, well, my middle sister is 11 years younger than me, and my baby sister is 11 years younger than her. Wow. So oh, I was wow. A grown man by the time my baby sister Sarah was born. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I grew up an only child playing with myself or playing by myself. <laughs> uh, perhaps both. Whatever. But yeah, right. But but the key in both of those things was that I had to use my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the greatest tool. Right. Wait, exactly. wait. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there is, if, if you remove that, uh, it, and it, it, isn't, it doesn't come down. But I also will say, and this is true for Jeremy in, in, in the way he's expressed it to me too, is that, you know, you want to have to follow your bliss. You have to follow what makes sense for both you as the dungeon master, but also for your table. Like if your table is of the way that um, some players are, where they like a more simulationist type game where, you know, they want it to follow a certain programmatic um, away, and that is the, where they get their fun out of it, 
then it's about finding the right flavor of, of game for, for the yeah. players and the Dungeon Masters. And I think that's what's really an interesting growth in um, the way the Dungeons & Dragons community is shown right now is because uh, when if you started playing when you were in the 80s or whatever and you might have tried to play once and you're like, oh, this Dungeon Master is very restrictive about what happens. Yeah. It's only by what's in the book and that's the way he's, his group works. That might not be a newcomer's bliss. And you might be like, well, that's how all D&D is, so I'm not going to play anymore. But what happens now, because there is so much streaming, there's lots of uh, podcasts that have different flavors and different Dungeon Masters, and you get to see different styles of play, um, there are players out there who will be like, all right, I'm trying to find the Rivals of Waterdeep-type game that I might really love, or, or the one that's, that's more like a critical role, where there's more voice acting and things that are, are, are uh, more like that, or ones that are more like... Um, uh, 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 having a tactical bent and, and they love that, that type of game they'll, they'll try a few different uh, situations and tables because they're looking for the type of game that they really want and they have that language to even talk about what is really exciting yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that like like Shelley was saying, you know, um, the the fact that streaming has become so popular, and you know, and and streaming streaming of live play stuff has become so popular, gives people, as you're saying, Greg, the the ability to to see the diversity in the types of D and D that there is that there is out there, and again, um, you know using your imagination and seeing how people can use their imagination and do stuff. Uh, since I started playing Rivals, I started playing uh, a, a game locally with uh, some friends, one of whom is uh, Charlie Hall. He is our DM. Nice. Oh, no way. Shout out, shout out to Charlie. Polygon. Uh, Charlie. Yeah. And, uh, and one thing that, that, you know, Charlie and his friends had been playing for a very long time and we started a new campaign. But one thing that they do that that we didn't do on Rivals and that I had never done was that he used grids and he used miniatures. And so we started using those in, in our adventure and, and it helped really kind of paint the scene and, and, you know, set things up. But that was something that they brought with them from previous versions, previous editions of, of D&D and, and that they still carried on with them. And and have been able to use it successfully in five e, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's 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 really true. I love that you're. I love that you're playing with with Charlie. Is he, is he the dungeon master? Yes, he is. Yes, what's he is. what's his style like? His style is very different. It is. Um, it is. Uh, let's see. So unassuming and dangerous. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> wow. so, you know what? A- that is an excellent name for a stream. <laughs> for a, for a, a new a new yeah, D&D for a stream. New stream, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> unassuming um, and dangerous. Yeah, so you know you'll you'll be you'll be sitting around with with Charlie and uh, and you know you'll you'll be looking at a in a treasure case in, in one room and you walk through the door and he'll say yeah so uh, seventeen goblins are in this room they're about to start attacking you roll for initiative. They're like, wait, what the what? hell just happened? That <laughs> I was, was just fast. grabbing a banana. What? <laughs> <laughs> 17, that's a lot. Right. <laughs> Fireball. Yes, right, right. Uh, yeah, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye, goblins. <laughs> we actually did do that. I know, right. And there's something about... You know, I'm. I'm. If he was using miniatures, having the seventeen oh, yeah. on yes, there, that's yes. almost. It's. It's more terrifying than uh, it would be if you just were describing it for some reason. That like right. the 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 wealth of plastic on the table. 
Yes. <laughs> and and the, the great thing is, um, one one of uh, one of the players at our table has a three D printer, so he's oh nice. Making, he's making minis as well, um, and that's an you know another thing. Like technology is so awesome, um, and it, and it's you know it's allowed it's allowed us to continue to be kids mm. well into adulthood because you know I'm playing with toys still, right? Like it's a replicator. Duh. It's it's yeah, actually yeah, a replicator. It is, it is, you know. It just instead of seconds, it just takes hours. But <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there one day. <laughs> We're on our way. Exactly. Uh, so I finally did finish watching the uh, season two of Discovery, uh, Star oh, Trek right. Discovery. Right. Uh, I, right. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of uh, Cicero's podcast that he's on uh, Discovery Debrief. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I've, I've, I listen to all the ones that are are, are going through the episodes. I know you guys, awesome. you guys got lots of extra stuff, which I've been like, oh, I got to make sure and see this the stuff that you guys are talking about before I, right. I listen in. Um, but yeah, that what a great uh, timey wimey jump uh, that that season two did. Not to go so, too spoilery, but no, yeah. So not to not to go too spoilery, but to but to say this, um, we spent a lot of the first season, and um, you know, shout out to uh, the rest of my bridge crew on Discovery Debrief. Check us out at DSC Debrief on Twitter. Um, but uh, you know, w- we spent the first season talking about all of the people that were um, complaining about the fact that this was not Trek. This was, you know, this was not their Trek. This was not, um, you know, and we went through myriad um, explanations of of why that's not the case, because every new Trek seems to get that moniker gets, you know, so that, you know, it was kind of the initiation. Yeah. Um, but then... Season two, we spent a lot of time talking about on our show about how much the writers, you can tell in the writers room that they are fans of the canon, fans of the franchise in ways that maybe even the people that are claiming it's not Trek aren't fans of the franchise. Mm. And and they, in their infinite brilliance, I guess, um, they were able to find a way now you know, one of the big complaints was here is this sh- here is this ship and this show that is set in this time that looks and feels and acts much more technologically advanced than everything else that is around it. Since you know the the sh- the show that is most closely associated in time with it is actually fifty years old, um, they figured out a way to get rid of that going forward and not so now you don't even have to worry about it and and it answered really quickly it was able to answer a lot of the goofy questions that were um that were kind of uh brought brought to the fore when they talked about who was going to be uh in the in the second season and the you know the the guest characters that that became involved um and the fact that the enterprise was there um, they figured all of that stuff out, and and uh, now all you're left with is a great show, and you have no idea what's going to happen. I, that's what I yes, all the uh, and to bring it even a little bit more back to to Dungeons and Dragons, what started struck me at by the end of season two of Star Trek Discovery was how the writers and and I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I kind of was interpreting this. Uh, they had a lot of data of the lore to go from, right? Like, of what was happening. Right. I just used two characters' names, but I didn't mean to. But there's a lot of lore in the background uh, that, especially even what was written in season one, 
that a dungeon master might have to do. Right? You, there's a lot of stuff that's written about the Forgotten Realms, for example, yes. that yes. you can bring certain parts of it forward at certain times, but you can't bring it all forward at the same right. time while telling your own story. Um, right. But they did such a great job of doing things that might have been interpreted as mistakes or missteps and weaving it into something that felt, by the end of season two, being like, oh, yes. that, and that is like the Chris Perkins genius moment when you're like, you're bringing stuff from like 10 years ago, 15 to 45 years ago into what is informing this. So now what happened in episodes of the original series of Star Trek now is even more right. emotional weight because of Absolutely. what is being told in Star Trek Discovery season two. And Absolutely. I thought that was really brilliant. And it's only something that a... Um, as someone who trusts their imagination and the imagination of humans to be able to link stories together can really yes. do. Yes, yes. Um, they they did in season two of uh, Discovery something that I think was remarkable. They had a previously on where they brought up um, uh, they brought up clips from the cage, which was the, <laughs> right. the pilot episode of Star Trek. So they probably had the oldest previously on in television history. Right. You know, the, the episode that preceded it happened 50 years ago. Right, because that was, that was, that was the, 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 uh, the pilot that was never aired, right, in 1962? Yeah, it, yeah it, it, it was never aired on television. Uh, well, it was, I think it was, it wound up being aired before uh, Star Trek went off the air initially, but it's definitely available now, like on yeah. Netflix or if you have CBS All Access or, you know, wherever you can find all of all of the Star Trek shows. So fascinating know. that they were able to to bring it all together. It was really, yeah, really they, cool. Yeah, and they um, were able to bring it in and it was awesome. And also if, if I mean, I'm, I'm not going to come selling Star Trek to you, but uh, it's, it was a great D&D uh, party. Right, like yeah. by the end, you're like, okay, here is our group of people who all have different relationships and skill sets, and now they're going to be thrust into this completely new yes. universe, essentially, yes. and have to fend for themselves, just like most D and D parties have to. Right, right, and it's exactly. yeah, it's there's the lots of, of unknowns. Adventure. There are lots of dynamics that are there, both interpersonal uh, and and uh, emotional, uh, and and you know, man. We're going to see what happens when these, when they get presented with goofy scenarios. It's going to be great. So for your, uh, for season five of Rivals of Waterdeep, are you thinking yes. of the group as an away team in Avernus? Um, hmm. No, I was not. I wonder if I should. <laughs> um, I am, it is, you know what though? It, there are going to be, if you are a Star Trek fan, I will say, um, if you do watch The Cage, there will probably be some some things uh, that happen in my season that will remind you of The Cage. Ooh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yes. I'm, I'm liking all that. I'm liking all that. And I'm, now I'm like trying to think, guess of what it, what it is. But yes. well, I'll leave that to the listeners and the viewers. Um <laughs> We're very excited. Again, it's September 22nd is when yes. you will begin your first episode, right? And that's yes. uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time? 10 a.m. Pacific time, yes. 1 p.m. Eastern time. Sweet. Check uh, your local listings. <laughs> <laughs> Soon we'll be on CBS All Access yeah. as well. <laughs> That'll be the day. Right? One day. One day. 
I am super excited. Uh, I love that you're jumping into the captain's chair for this. Uh, and uh, yeah, any 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 final things you want to leave us with as as previews before uh, we sign off here? Uh, hey, um, my season of you know for all of the people that are are fans of have been fans of Rivals of Waterdeep, um, my season will be different from everyone else's. I think. Um, but uh, but it will still be rivals. It'll still be the characters that you know and love. Uh, but we're going to be doing a bunch of crazy things. It's all coming from my brain. It's a scary place. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, um, hey, if you hear me doing voices and you like some of those voices, this voice is for hire. So uh, make sure you check you uh, you check out uh, my my social medias and. Uh, you know, if you if you like me, you can you can get in contact with me. I see you've got that professional uh, uh, screen there in front of you. Yeah. You're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this isn't even this isn't even my uh, VO mic. I've oh. got a I've got a different voiceover microphone. Well, that's yeah. exciting. That's exciting. I can't wait. Uh, that's that's I, I love that as a new line uh voiceover uh stuff is is super fun you know shelly is a an amateur voiceover artist as well i mean i don't know about amateur (laughs) (laughs) well you either do it or you don't and that's and then i don't cicero oh stop it i don't no i really don't you're like seriously your c-3po is really good oh dear (laughs) (laughs) but i can only do it with the arms so it's not really good for voiceover It's a physical art form. <laughs> Please. I understand that. Go put your underwear on now. Right. That's how I used to have to talk to my son. We don't have the C3PO underwear anymore. I know. They don't make them in his size anymore. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, it's so sad. So, what's your other go? What's your go to for him now for voiceover? Pika! <laughs> <laughs> That's love all it. I got. I love it. I have one question for you. Yes. Why? Are you a Yankees fan? <laughs> uh, why why yeah. am I a Yankees fan? Because I may or may not have paid her to ask that question. Well, <laughs> I'm also not a Yankees fan. No one should be. I am. Oh, well. I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm sorry. Why am I a Yankees fan? Because um, I love the sport of baseball. I love uh, good taste. I love great <laughs> teams. And I happen to be born in the South Bronx. I was born. Oh, Okay. So, so I am I am a Yankee Yankee fan by blood, um, you know. I was born nine blocks from the stadium, and I've always been a fan. And to make to to really prove my fandom, I my parents and I we uh, we moved from the Bronx and and wound up on Long Island in the eighties. Um, Long Island is Mets country. Oh yeah, and it I was a. I was a Yankees fan living in Mets country when the Mets were good. <gasps> and so I got tormented, uh, just merciless for being a Yankees fan. And the Yankees didn't make the playoffs. They had, had the best record uh, throughout the, the, the decade of the 80s, had the best record in the American Leagues, only made it to the postseason once, um, and, uh, or actually twice, but then uh, didn't do anything. And then, you know, and then we became the Yankees again. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I, congratulations uh, in advance for this year because it looks like uh, <laughs> you got this one. And no, uh, it's the Astros, man. It's the Astros. I'm afraid of those guys. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really afraid of them. But uh, you know, we're gonna give it a shot. The Red Sox will be back next year, though. I'm pretty sure. Eh, so yeah, watch yeah, out. Yeah, you know, yeah. The Mariners hey, will not. The Mariners it's, it's, will not. 
it's it's never fun if the Red Sox are not in it. So um, you know you gotta you gotta beat the best to be the best. Uh, so. Well, uh, 1986 we'll remember forever as the Mets, uh, you know, yeah. beating us. But uh, uh, you know, I, I totally understand where you're coming yeah. from as being a native for sure. I guess that makes sense. But I guess yeah. And you're you seem like a nice guy. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, not like know. most Yankees. Yeah, fans, so. so, so. <laughs> <laughs> uncharacteristic. We're, we're we're all good on the inside. <laughs> hmm. um, how can people uh, follow you on the Twitters? I don't know if we've we've said that. We have not. I am uh, the infamous Stubby Stan, S-T-U-B-B-Y-S-T-A-N, on all of your social media platforms. You can find me there. Um, all of the things that I am doing are in those in my bio there. Um, please go ahead and follow me. I say random things. I am the voice in your head. <laughs> and, you are now. Uh, yeah, exactly. Do and, I have to uh, pay you for that now that you're the voice for hire? Hey, my rates are reasonable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't ask you to get in my head. So, but uh, hey, you know, once I'm there, though, you're just like, you're there now. So you, you do have well. a very nice, soothing voice. Oh, well, thank yeah. you. ASMR. All right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. New line. New line yeah. of work. Right. <laughs> I'm going to hear that voice today when I'm at Marshall's. Well, you can hear yes, it even. Yes, you do need another macrame wall hanging. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should start doing that, too. Getting that in does. people's. Marshall Nista. Yeah. Those candles <laughs> smell like sandalwood. <laughs> you, you, love you should sandalwood. buy 12. <laughs> How about a frying do it now. pan? <laughs> Cast iron? What a deal. <laughs> Your friend Daphne is bad mouthing you right now. You should buy this knife. Why are your pants so tight? Well, should we have had beans again? <laughs> Everyone in this room hates That's you really because the of the beans you ate. Everyone hates you. Oh, this is the voice in my head. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Cicero. Uh, I can't wait for uh, September 22nd. I'm moving away from, from creepy too. Shelly voices. Uh, you're awesome. Friday, you can teams, move away. Gotta, Friday, gotta Friday, have... Friday, gotta... Horror yes. is back. Who all right, man. Back? Well, rock it, and uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. All right. Right on. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye, you. guys. I really enjoy talking to Cicero Holmes. That's amazing. So many great. great insights into uh, Star Trek, Rivals of Waterdeep, Dungeon, Dungeon Mastering. Mastering. Um, great tips you're and gonna inspiration. Get in, you're going to jump in. I know you are. Mm. Do it. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That's like the most non-committal thing ever. That's right. Yeah. I mastered the non-committal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure thing. Oh, we should totally get together. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, bye. Oh, oh my God. That's yes. so funny. That would be great. Yeah, call me. I would love that. Okay, bye. <laughs> Is that the Seattle Freeze? You just Seattle froze, froze you everybody on yes. Dungeon Mastering. There's so many players that want to play with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I totally will. There's okay. a list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm. Bye. <laughs> I don't freeze people. No? No. No? I have, actually. Yeah. Have you? Uh, no, actually, honestly, I did that more in North Carolina. Really? Well, because people were so very friendly there, and like, stand back. I, well, we and we had a we had kids, so obviously that's always like when you're at the playground with like very young kids, like yeah. that's that your only social interaction can sometimes be with other parents right. that are at those things. So I would engage in that way, but then I I was like, no, I don't really want to hang out with you. I got other things. That like I, like they would on. be like, you were fun to hang out with at, at this park, so now I'm gonna. Do you want to come over and have a play date? Yeah. Like that kind of thing? Yeah. And I 
generally would. I wouldn't like try to make it like a much deal, but I was tr- always trying to find ways to be like, yeah, no, okay, see you later. Yeah. Yeah. No, this this ends here. Right. You, you read the signals wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> you read me wrong. Right. I'm not going to your house. But that's an important thing to do when you're a dungeon master and playing is read the signals that people aren't telling you too. As far as like, are you having fun or are you enjoying your time? And right. That's, that's, that's the subtle art of dungeon mastering, Shelley, that you, I think, have already mastered. You I just do don't that. know how to apply it to, to, to dungeon mastering. Because I don't know the rules. It's not about the rules. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. You have to, I don't feel like I know anything. That, well, I, you do know many things. You wrote a whole book about <laughs> all the things that you know. I can, as a player. Sure. I feel like. There's I no can, diff. There's no diff. <laughs> no diff. All right. Well, maybe at the very least I could try it and write another book about it. Uh, yeah. There you go. Ah. You're like, what I learned about not freezing out my dungeon mastering. <laughs> See? Don't freeze out your players. It just rolls off the tongue, that title. I do like those long titles. Let's get Random House on the line. Let's do this. We got a new edition for your catalog. <laughs> I like that voice, too. That's my author voice. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm an author. I got a new catalog edition. <laughs> I got a new catalog for you. <laughs> Oops, I switched. Now I'm the 1930s. Yeah, you're like, hey, guy. yeah, right? Uh, We've uh, got breaking news. You got a career gal. <laughs> Fast-talking career woman. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that uh, from uh, the Hutsucker Proxy? Did you see that movie with the, the Coen brothers? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. I, there's Jennifer Jason Lee plays a character who just... The fast-talking career She woman. does that the whole, the whole movie. Oh, my God. It's great. I can't do it. I bet right my now. pulets are on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's you to a T. Me. Add it to the to the uh, my voice repertoire. Yeah, your. I was gonna I'll say put it on my reel. Oeuvre, on your reel, your voiceover reel. <laughs> oh, I had another new voice. Yeah. Don't know. Well, Cicero um, is jumping into voiceover as well. Maybe he can uh, give you some tips on how to okay. to monetize. Monetize Making the things voice, happen. My voices. <laughs> All of your many voices uh, in your head. Hello, this is a new voice. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I just come up with a new one every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's what still makes me laugh? Which one? <laughs> when I have to go back and find the podcast. We were okay, a little off the, the rails. We were talking about sketchy as a person. <laughs> and you were like, sketchy, I never knew you. I'm like, what did you say? The old man voice. Yes. What are you talking about? Your old man sketchy. I know. Sketchy was the love of his life. <laughs> I think I said it then, but I still well, will do I that remember, to this like, day. the exact line you said, but I, it was really funny. I don't either, but my kids will often ask for that voice because it annoys my wife so much. <laughs> like, on, like on a visceral level. She's like, shut up. That just makes me so angry when you do it's that your voice. future. I know. <laughs> The future, great <laughs> old man. Man, <gasps> that's why Fiona's trying to fix you up. She already knows your future. <laughs> <laughs> that it's not going to work out. When you're old and you got hair coming out of your ears, roll and the die. Like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Fiona's going to be like, remember that neighbor? Oh wait, she has the voice now too. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the mixture between the old person and the fast talking career gal all in one. <laughs> that's kind of Fiona. Yeah, that is pretty much her. Yeah, yeah that's that's my girl. She's so funny. She is a good one. Uh, we're going to get into dungeon mastering with her uh, when we get the new house. So we've got like a whole game room figured out. We're going to make it happen. Oh, man. Lots I of want neighborhood in on games. That game. Yeah. Come join. See how the magic is also, done. Also, Bart discovered that that owl picture that Edna made for us yeah? looks like one of the owl characters in Pokemon. It does? Yeah. That might have been inspired. I don't know. I don't know. He's like, man, he's like, maybe Edna can start drawing Pokemon. I know. I posted something on, about Edda doing a uh, angel and a devil, and I'm like, she's ready for Avernus. Wow, she is ready. 
Just in the brain. You have like seeped into her brain. Yeah. Maybe she listens to Laura, you should know. I think she does. <laughs> That's where she gets it all. Do you also know, random fact, yeah. that you were the first people I knew that had an Alexa? Oh, really? Because when we went over to your house once and you were like, Alexa, turn on blah, 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 playlist or something, I was like, is Alexa like? What? Oh, I remember that. Who's he ta- talking to? And then music came on, and yeah. I was still like, I still don't know who Alexa is. <laughs> Why? How, how come I didn't see this person come in and turn on the music? That was when we took the picture of of uh, Quinn and Fiona and Edna at oh, the small at table. Oh, that little table, right? Oh my god! That's when I right. first moved here, that was like mo- a few months after I moved here. Yeah, they were ba- they were babies. They were babies, and now they've grown into they were babies, slightly bigger babies, still babies. <laughs> They're still babies. Uh, so how can people get in touch with you uh, to find out about the rules of Dungeon Mayhem? <laughs> <laughs> how dare. Uh, we, we can talk on Twitter. It's fine. <laughs> at Shelly Moo. That's where you are. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Good what to know. You? I am you? at Greg Tito, um, and you can ask me anything you want, and I will most likely give you an answer. Will you? Most likely. Okay. I'm also Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Follow me there for pictures of my uh, children and their drawings of angels and demons. And like your I new said. house. Uh, and my new house, exactly. We'll be doing more stuff in there in the West Seattle area. Don't post your address. I'm starting up a new campaign where I'm a player uh, for Baldur's Gate. No Descent way. to Avernus, also in West Waterdeep? Seattle. No, I'm still dungeon mastering oh, you're doing both. that one. So I'll be dungeon mastering that and playing in another one. I'm very excited about my character. I'll talk more about it uh, on, on future podcasts. Okay. It's going to be fun. Um, and of course, if you want to find out about all the things Dungeons and Dragons, you can go and download your Dragon Plus app on your phone, iOS, Android, some other type of phone that I don't know about but exists somewhere. I'm sure you can get it on there. Uh, or if you want to get it, all that content on the web, it's at dragonmag.com. Every two months, Bart Carroll puts together uh, an amazing issue along with Matt Chapman uh, to give you previews of things that are to come, um, as well as uh, lots of great visual uh, stuff that you can that only get on good. Dragon Plus, including maps uh, and artwork and things like that. So do it. Lots of great stuff coming out in this new issue uh, that will be available very soon. So do that. I and then, of course, DungeonsandDragons.com uh, is where you can get all of these product information, too. So do that. And then if you are worried about some type of cave-in from all of the uh, thunder and lightning right. that's been happening Who in the Pacific that's, Northwest. That's done. You should probably... What? Can you look at that? Yeah. We're this gonna, one looks a little loose. I'm just going to put it back there. Yeah. See if that oh, I feel like I should take off the <laughs> Oh, God! Ah! 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 